52 tonight. So we are in one of those sections that um, you've probably heard before, especially Isaiah uh, 53. But the sections between Isaiah 40, 42, all the way up to Isaiah 52 are probably uh, not as well known to most of us, but it's the prep. It's the segue between Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 53. And it's all about the preparation of why do we need a Savior? Why do I need someone to come to the earth and, and die for my sins? What, what is the purpose of the Messiah, Jesus Christ? And so hopefully as we've been walking through this section in the part of Isaiah that you know, most of the time we never even read or even have had a sermon taught about, uh, we kind of get a glimpse of our need for a Savior because all of us are sinners. Every single one of us are in need of someone to come and die uh, for us. And the theme is repeated again in Isaiah 52. This is the fourth time we see this word awake repeated twice in these two chapters, beginning in Isaiah 52 were shown these two words again, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust, arise, sit down, O Jerusalem, loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. And so, Father, tonight as we approach your uh, throne room, uh, help us to come with reverence, uh, to understand that it truly is a privilege to come before you. And every time we talk to you uh, in prayer or or just uh, in conversation with you throughout our day, I ask that you would help us to really uh, come in awe of the throne of God. To know that you are holy, 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 as Isaiah says. And that you came to this earth to redeem us with something that is greater than silver or gold or money. The things of this earth are worthless compared to the way you redeemed us through the sacrifice and blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, tonight, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds. I, I thank you so much for those that, that work so hard behind the scenes for our, our pastors, Lord, the, the, the pastors that serve many times just uh, without any recognition whatsoever, getting here early and, and doing so many things in our um, uh, our services and, and, and throughout the week, Lord, we lift up to you, Pastor Jason and, and Pastor Mike Atkins and, and Pastor Mike Butler and Pastor Mike Cosper and Pastor Mike Ostheimer, Lord. I ask that you give them wisdom as they, they lead our, our church, Lord. We lift up to you our elders, Larry and Ron, and ask that you just give them a clear vision uh, for our uh, church, even this week, Lord. I thank you so much for Jeff all the way in the back there that that works tirelessly to make sure everything goes smoothly with um, uh, the, the sending out of your word over the, the streaming and, and everything that goes on behind the scenes uh, there. But most of all, I ask you bless these that are listening, whether online or here tonight, that you would just uh, soften their hearts 
that we would uh, hopefully get a, a new perspective of, of what it means uh, to come to a Savior who died for us. And the prediction of the way that you would suffer uh, 700 years before it even happened. And so, Lord, tonight, help us to get a, a fresh perspective. Uh, our eyes would be opened. Our, our hearts would be broken uh, for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Again, this, this phrase, awake, awake, it, it's urgent. It means that I have to over and over and over again remind myself to wake up. Have you been so tired, maybe driving or, or maybe reading or, or maybe even watching TV, whatever it is, and you find your eyes just slowly closing just because of the weight? And it can happen to us spiritually as well as it is happening to the nation of Israel and even us today, are there times in your life when you need to awake spiritually? All of us do. Every single one of us. We all need to have that urgency of revival. To have the people of God wake up, be revived. And that amazing verse that is now the, the segue, the connecting verse between the previous chapters that uh, tell of our need for a Savior, now the segue into what the Savior is going to do for his people. How is he going to redeem these irredeemable people? How is he going to save these people that are enemies of God? How is he going to reach out to those that cannot save themselves? says there in verse 3, For thus says the Lord, you have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. How does Jesus redeem us? Not with gold, not with silver, not with currency, but with something far greater. His blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 4. For thus says the Lord God. My people went down at first. Into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them. Without cause. Now therefore what have I here. Says the Lord. That my people are taken away. For nothing. Those who rule over them. Make them well. Says uh, the Lord. And my name is blasphemed. Continually. Every Day. This is the second time, by the way, in these two verses that we have this phrase that the people of Israel sold themselves for nothing. Can you imagine that? Selling themselves for no gain on their part. They, they literally sold themselves as if they themselves were worthless. How many times do we give ourselves away? Because we think of ourselves as worthless. The amazing picture that we're going to be seeing in these two chapters is that God thinks you're worthwhile. In fact, he thinks you are valuable enough to send his only begotten son to die to pay for your sins. Isn't that amazing? Because when we devalue ourselves, when I look in the mirror and think that I am not worth anything, what does the Bible tell me? 
that I'm somebody that God loves and sent his son to die for. That he sees you as already seated in the heavenlies. That you are a child of the living king. That we have the privilege of knowing God intimately, even uh, tonight. It's the privilege that we have. Unfortunately, just like the people of Israel, they've given them away, themselves away for nothing. Just as if they were worthless. Read the book of Hosea. It is one of the most poignant books in the whole Bible. Depicting what it means for a person to literally give themselves away for nothing. In fact, even paying her lovers to sleep with her rather than the other way around. And then the love of that husband, Hosea, reaching out to her when she herself valued herself as nothing, and everybody else in town as well, by the way. After she was used up, Hosea goes and buys her back. Just that little glimpse of what Jesus does for us. You see, Jesus didn't come to this earth when we somehow had made ourselves good. When did Jesus come to the earth? To die for you and me. When we were his enemies. The initiation of the greatest relationship in the entire universe. God reached out to us. As it says here, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. When we were blaspheming God, that's when he reached out to us. When we deliberately were going against the will of God, God reached out to us in his infinite mercy, in his infinite grace. Does that prick your heart tonight? Or is our heart so callous that it doesn't even sink in anymore? It's just the phrases that we hear over and over and over again at church. I pray tonight that those calluses would be ripped away. And our hearts would be sensitive to the hearing of the word of God. Verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things. Who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Maybe the first time you heard the word of God. Maybe it was someone that you didn't even know. They just came up to you, maybe gave you a tract, maybe gave you a Bible, maybe told you they were praying for you. Or maybe a, a grandmother or a mother or, or a relative told you that they were praying for you. And, and hopefully in that instance, whether you accepted it at first uh, and, and you know you, your eyes, your spiritual eyes were opened for the very first time, was that good news? Thank God for the person. Thank God for that person. Because that person spoke truth into your life. We should all be grateful for the people that prayed for us when we were not Christians. We should all be grateful for those that took the time out of their lives to reach out to us. And guess what? You can do the same for somebody else, by the way. 
And just as it says here, and also in Nahum uh, chapter 1, verse 15, it, this verse is repeated, uh, by the way. And by the way, Nahum is just this little small book. It's not even written to the, to the people of Israel. It's like the, the sister book for Jonah. Instead of, you know, Jonah reaching out to the people of Nineveh and the people repented, in Nahum, it's the same city, Nineveh, but now they reject the truth. And Nahum, he's saying the same exact phrase, Behold, on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. What happens when you become a child of the king? What happens? Your speech changes. Your heart changes from blasphemy to something that now is used for the glory of God. We sing to God those beautiful songs that we just sang tonight. The preparation for the service, the preparation for coming into the very throne room of God itself. Verse 8, your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back a Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. Second time this word is used, redeemed. What does he do? The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. I have the privilege of going to a men's Bible study here in the cafe, by the way. 6.30 to 8 p.m., just a plug, by the way. And to listen to those men sing is absolutely awesome. Even Tom sings loud. It's wonderful. It's absolutely, I know, he's the harmony, yes. And the privilege of hearing men sing aloud the songs of Christianity. That, that desire to sing to the Lord. And of course, in here too, the acoustics aren't as good in this room. But the privilege of being able to sing to the Lord. Do you understand that that truly is a privilege? Just like prayer. Just like coming to church. The privilege of knowing that I have a place where I know there will be people that also want to worship the Lord with me. Corporately, all together. It's truly a blessing to have. But also it says these are the watchmen. Now, of course, a watchman, he has two jobs. He's, you know, the first job is in the title. He's supposed to watch, right? Now, when you're watching, especially whether you're a guard, whether you're a watchman, which way are you watching normally? You're supposed to be watching out, right? You're supposed to be looking outside the walls. You're, you're looking for danger. You're looking for enemies. You're looking for someone who's going to come and do your city harm. You are a guard. You're a watchman. You're looking forward to someone. And then, of course, the second job of a watchman was to warn. When they see danger coming, what were they to do? Not be asleep, but to awake, awake. In the wee hours of the night, when the enemy would come, what were they to do? They were to warn. 
The amazing thing, what are these watchmen doing? They're singing. They're singing. And what are they singing? The praises of God. Isn't it great to be a watchman in the times of peace? Isn't it great to be a watchman when there are no enemies? Why? You're, you don't have to do anything, right? Right? Isn't it wonderful? You know, you know that there's going to be no enemies because there's peace in the land. What are these watchmen doing? They're singing together the praises of God. Because it's a time of peace. The Lord has established who he is. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Israel. For the Lord has comforted his people. And that amazing phrase, he has redeemed Jerusalem. We're going to see the expansion of this word redeemed uh, later on. But we see a glimpse of it in verse 10. What is God going to do for his people? The very first thing it says in verse 10, he bears his arms. He bears his arms. We're going to see later on that those arms are going to be pierced. He's going to bear his arms. And what is he going to do? In the eyes of all the nations, publicly for everyone to see, he's going to bear his arms. And as a sacrifice, it continues on there. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation, the definition of the very name, Jesus itself. Salvation of God. Bearing his arms in front of everyone that was watching. In a public location where people would literally walk by. Just this glimpse of what Jesus Christ will do for you and for me. Not done secretly. Not, not done in a, a closed room. But publicly for everyone to see. Verse 11, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from there or from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled. Uh, very high. We talked about this when we were in uh, Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, but the understanding of who the Messiah was, his very role. Well, we'll never see him as in these verses here. And in, in fact, all throughout the book of Isaiah, you'll see, never see him described in some sort of royal way. Not as a king, not as a prince. You'll see him always defined as a servant. And remember what the definition of the servant, this word servant here is, it was a bond servant. Someone who, after a period of seven years, after serving in a household, voluntarily chose to continue his servitude to that household. Going all the way back to the book of Leviticus, where that servant, that slave, after he had already worked off his uh, debt to that family, chose to stay with that family. 
And what was the sign of the bond servant? The right ear pierced through the door, through the very side of the door of the house for which he would serve for the rest of his life, willfully volunteering to serve in that house. Excuse me. <clears throat> this is what Jesus did for you and me. Just a little glimpse. Pierced for you and for me. Voluntarily choosing to come as a servant for you and for me. And can you imagine every single time you would walk through the door of the house that you were a bondservant to, seeing that hole where the awl had pierced your own ear. As you walk through, maybe a little piece of your skin still left in that hole. Or the stain of the blood on the door. Reminding you that you had chosen to stay with this family. And the same thing, and, and you already see the picture, hopefully. This is what Jesus is going to do, even to a greater degree. Bearing his arms, pierced on the cross for you. And for me, every time we see the privilege of understanding that he has been given his life for us. What does it say in that last phrase? He shall be exalted and extolled to be very high. As Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 says. Therefore God also has highly exalted him. Given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow. Of those in heaven. And of those on earth. And those under the earth. That every tongue should confess. That Jesus Christ. Is Lord. To the glory of God. The father. It is a privilege to be able to sing. With people that all sing the same language. But imagine a choir in heaven. Filled with various languages. Made up of all the dialects and languages of the world. Representing every single nation on the planet. Worshipping God. Oh, what a choir that will be. Can you imagine that? All bought with the blood of the Lamb. Praising God. Verse 14. Just as many were astonished at you. So his visage was marred more than any man. And his four more than the sons of men. Starting in verse 14, we get a glimpse of what Jesus Christ did for us. <clears throat> it, in many ways, Easter is always sugarcoated. Even, even the most graphic of you know, movies that depict what Jesus Christ went through. Uh, it doesn't go through all the effects of what Jesus Christ did for you and me. You see, this prediction, this was written 700 years. 700 years before Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. This was written 200 years before crucifixion was even invented. This was written before this horrific torture device was literally refined by the Romans to be used as a tool of 
fear and torture. So that if you were to see someone hanging on the cross, it was a deterrent. Because you never wanted to be up there. Because just a glimpse as we read this very first verse, verse 14, of the description of a person on the cross, they were beaten beyond recognition even before they were put upon that cross. Literally tenderized. Their faces mutilated, their backs ripped apart. All their joints literally pulled out of place from the jarring of the cross as it fell into that hole. The marring of the visage of Jesus Christ there on the cross, beyond even recognition of a human being. A piece of meat up there on the cross. Can you imagine that? And Isaiah, he's writing these things as prophetic words for an event that he will, you know, not be at. Of course, he will die before these events take place. But to have a glimpse of what the Messiah would have to go through, even for the prophet himself, Isaiah. And then to write these words in such a way where they literally um, prick the very heart of everyone that would read it. This is what the Messiah will go through for you. Beyond recognition, the Messiah is beaten. And in verse 15, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. The very death of Jesus Christ will not stay in Jerusalem. As the end of Matthew, as the end of Mark, as the end of Luke, as the end of John, the whole book of Acts itself portrays what will happen to the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It will go to the very ends of the earth. That even kings themselves will hear about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But not only that, not only will they hear, but that blood will be sprinkled upon the Gentiles as well. Not just for the Jews, not, not just for the people of God, but for even those that were not or did not have a single drop of Jewish blood in them, the nations that were called the Gentiles, everyone else that was not a Jew, everyone else that was no longer a, a part of the people of God, but now God is going to reach out to those, the Gentiles. In fact, in Leviticus, every time you see, whether it's the altar or whether it's the temple itself or whether it's the priests, they were all anointed in a unique way. It was always done by sprinkling. It was always done, whether it was oil, olive oil, or blood. And it was sprinkled to cleanse. And it was always done for one, always, every single time, for a certain type of offering. It was always the sin offering. See, this is what Jesus does for us. Sinners. 
people who do not deserve to be redeemed. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed and sprinkled to redeem us. His very blood. And by the way, if you read the book of Hebrews, it goes into much greater detail than we'll ever go through tonight. Uh, but the book of Hebrews is just absolutely amazing in describing what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross once, one time only. A sacrifice given once for the eternal healing and forgiving of every single one of the sins of those that come to him. Isn't that amazing? Just absolutely blows me away. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 2, we get this amazing phrase. And by the way, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, it's the only time that we see this word being used. It's only spoken by Peter in 1 Peter and also in the book of Acts when Peter gives his amazing sermon. He says this word foreknowledge, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Can you imagine knowing every single one of the sins of Peter and God choosing him? The one who would put his foot in his mouth every time he talked. God chose him before Peter did the foot in mouth disease, right? Before Peter blasphemed God. Before Peter denied Jesus Christ there at that, you know, campfire before a little girl, God chose him. Isn't that amazing? But not just Peter. Every single one of us. Isn't that amazing? The foreknowledge of God choosing you, knowing that you at times would still rebel against him. That's the foreknowledge of God. Again, and you can read it also in Acts chapter 2, by the way, the same exact word. Peter saying the same exact phrase, just magnifying God because God chose him in his foreknowledge, knowing that he, as the least of the disciples at that time, of course, he, he's, you know, understanding the forgiveness of God himself, but knowing that he denied Jesus Christ, and yet God still chose him. It should just blow us away. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Again, the bearing of the arm of God. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. And by the way, remember this chapter is written 700 years before these events take place. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 17. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, 
again, quoting these previous verses in Isaiah 52 and now also in Isaiah 53, combining them all together. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of preach uh, of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Bringing all these chapters, all these verses, all together, everything points to the Messiah. Every single one of these prophecies had to come true to the letter. The marring of the visage, the burying of the arm, the piercing through. Every single one had to come about perfectly. And by the way, the events of this torture, again, have not even been invented. He could never have been pierced if he was stoned. He could never have been marred if his head was cut off. He could never have done various things as we're going to see uh, here throughout, whether it's the, the, you know, the, the stripes on his back or the piercing of his hands and his feet in, the, in any of the torture devices that had been invented during the time of Isaiah. It was only during the time, 700 years later, when this torture device was actually invented, that these things could come true. The purity of the prophecy of the word of God. And then in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, summing everything up. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Everything comes down to, do you believe this? Do you believe this? You see, Isaiah had to write it down. Not even understanding how this could come about. How would this come about, this, this, you know, horrific torture device? And yet, 700 years later, Jesus himself goes through these horrific things for you and for me. Verse 2, for he shall grow up before him as a tender root and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You see, Jesus Christ was just a normal human being. On the outside, he didn't look any different than any other Jew. He, you know, many times we, we, you know, beautify the way Jesus looked, the long flowing locks, right? And the beautiful, you know, beard and all uh, the, the, you know, the, the complexion that is handsome, right? So many times we, we, you know, beautify those things that the Bible itself, he was just a, a common looking person that wouldn't stand out in the crowd other than the words that he spoke. But just on the outside, just his human form, there was nothing about him that made him look different from those. He didn't have a halo on his head. Right? He didn't have a glow, except for during the, uh, what we call the transfiguration. But everything about him looked like a normal Jewish person. And then in verse 3, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. 
when we did not esteem him. When those crowds heard those words that Jesus would speak, not only of when you will eat my body and drink my blood, and the crowd just literally dispersed. When, when you will reject me and the crowds would no longer follow after Jesus Christ. And the disciples would ask that question, where should we go? There's no one else to follow. Are those crowds that would literally cut down palm branches, lay them at his feet on Monday as he would walk through the streets of Jerusalem and then on Thursday and Friday shout, crucify him. Cruci the very same crowds, by the way, shouting, crucify him, crucify him. He understood sorrows and grief. He understood rejection. Can you go to him at any time? When we may feel exactly the same thing, yes, of course, to a lot lesser degree. We magnify a lot of our sowers. We, we magnify a lot of our problems. But do you understand Jesus is acquainted with those things? He went through every single temptation and yet overcame all of them. This is the cry of Jesus. Just This is the cry of Isaiah writing these amazing prophecies in Mark chapter 9 verse 12. It says and quotes this same exact verse. Then he answered and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man Jesus Christ referring to himself that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. Unlike what the Jews ever wanted was to exalt the Messiah and somehow raise him to a position where he could overthrow the Roman government. That is not why Jesus came the first time. It was to be treated with contempt. Verse 4, and again, every single one of these prophecies must come true, written before the time, 700 years before the time when these actually take place. Verse 4, surely has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. See, it wasn't just the soldiers that hurt Jesus Christ. As we're going to see later on in Psalms 22, <clears throat> Jesus Christ bore our sins. Literally shouting from the cross, the repeat of the words from Psalm 22, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Carrying the sins of the world for you and for me. Isn't that amazing? What Jesus Christ did for you and for me. Stricken. Not just by the whips of human beings, but by God himself laying our sins on his body. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So that we may become the righteousness of God in him. The great exchange, my sins for his righteousness. His righteousness for my sins. Oh, what amazing redemption. Not 
with gold or silver or money, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. And so he touched her hand and the fever left her. She rose and she served them. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed. And he cast out the spirits with the word and he healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled again fulfilling these scriptures in Isaiah 53, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Every single one of the words in Isaiah 53 had to come true through the life of Jesus Christ. Verses 5 and 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace. Was upon him. And by his stripes. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him. The iniquity of us all. Do you understand what it's saying here? Those cruel whips, and you've heard the descriptions before. Those leather strips infused or glued or pierced through with glass and metal implements. And then the whipping of the person who was there being literally a spread eagle. No defense. As that whip would literally come down. And be ripped out and take chunks of flesh. And then those mocking soldiers as they would put the purple robe on him. So, so that the blood would then coagulate. Soak into the cloth. And dry partially. And then put that crown of thorns on his head slap him on the face and say who hit you who hit you and then after carrying the cross they would rip that robe off and what would happen to all those fresh wounds you see the torture was great but the greatest of all the tortures as it says here was him bearing our sins so that I would never have to. Because none of us can pay for our sins. None, none of us can even begin to pay for even a portion of our sins. There's no way. It was only through the perfect blood of Jesus Christ, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we having died to sin might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you are healed. Isn't that amazing? Again, written by Peter, the one who denied Jesus Christ. Before this took place. For you are like sheep gone astray. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Isn't that amazing? The iniquity of us all laid upon Jesus Christ's back. 
that back that was ripped open for you and for me. And by the way, that's even before he was put on the cross. We'll see more of that later on. Verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears are silent. So he opened not his mouth. What would we have done? We would have cried out, you know, mercy, mercy. We would have defended ourselves. We would have said, well, look at, look at these things that I did for these people. I healed so many people. I did so many good things for the Jews. But what did Jesus do? Not once did he defend himself. Not once, as it says here, did he open his mouth. Why? Because he went forward to the cross. The very plan of God itself. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. We see the same exact imagery in stark contrast. I love this verse. Not only does it show the deity of Jesus Christ, but it shows what he does for us. You see, as a lamb, very in, or literally in heaven itself, you see this glimpse in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, and I looked and I behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. The only wounds in all of heaven. None of our wounds will be, none of our scars will be there. The only scars, the only wounds in heaven are on Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And they will be a reminder, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Skipping ahead to verse 11 there, Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the numbers of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy of the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The centerpiece of heaven itself for what he did for those that are worshiping him. See, no one will be in heaven without that lamb. No one will be in heaven without the lamb of God. None of us would ever get into heaven without his sacrifice. Verses 8 and 9, he was taken from prison, from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was uh, stricken, uh, buried, three days. Buried on Friday, risen on Sunday. Why? For you and for me. And he made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. That, and literally, every single one of these prophecies have to come true. Every single one of them. From the marring of the visage, from the piercing, from every single one of the prophecies. Again, what kind of a grave did he have to be in? Potiphar's. A rich man, 
he had to be put in a rich man's grave. He himself, having no money, had no way of purchasing any form of a graveyard or, or a tomb. And who now donates? Who now donates? A rich man. Verse 10, yet it displeased the Lord to bruise him. He was put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You see, it was always forbidden throughout the Old Testament for any person to lay down their lives for another in terms of sacrifice. What was the sacrificial system in the Old Testament? It was always a lamb or a ram or a bull or a turtle dove if you were poor. It was always had to be the blood of an animal. It was always forbidden for someone to sacrifice or be sacrificed by someone else. That, that's what the other nations did. That's what the Moleks would do with their children. They would literally put their children on that burning arms of the idol itself. Sacrificing their children. That was forbidden by the sacrificial system of the Jews. But who now comes as a sacrifice for his people? It says it very, very clearly right there. The servant's going to come. The son of God is going to come. Messiah is going to come. And what is he going to do? He's going to sacrifice himself voluntarily for the sins of, as it says here, his people. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Again, repeating that phrase, what will Jesus do on the cross? A sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This amazing phrase is repeated literally by Mark as he uh, hears about this account from the cross. Mark chapter 15, verse 27. And with him they also crucified two robbers, two transgressors, two sinners on either side of the perfect Lamb of God. All lined up there in a perfect public place. Golgotha, the skull, a, 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 a you know, a, a, almost like a, a, a bus stop where people would come and go. In fact, if you go over to the Holy Land uh, today, the place of the skull, Golgotha, is literally a bus stop now. And to understand that that public place is where they would crucify people, Jesus Christ there in the middle between two sinners, two thieves, two robbers. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Again, a fulfilling of a prophecy. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. 
mocking him. Again, the prediction of Isaiah 53. And likewise, the chief priests also, not just the common people, not just travelers, but who else? The religious leaders walked by purposely mocking Jesus Christ, mocking among themselves with the scribes and said, he saved others, himself he cannot say, save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Oh, the mockery. Oh, the hypocrisy. Oh, the blasphemy. Can you imagine to put myself in that same exact situation? What would I do? Would I be there with that jeering crowd pointing at him? Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Even those thieves on the cross. You remember the story. What happened? One of them mocked and one of them accepted. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which takes us now to Psalms 22. You see Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53 gives us a, a glimpse of what Jesus Christ went through. But Psalms 22 goes even into more detail. And, I, and Psalms 22, by the way, was written a thousand years before this happened. Written by David himself. The great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ, written about his great, 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 great grandson who would die on the cross. Can you imagine that? It was bad enough for Isaiah to have to write this out, but then David himself, knowing that one of his descendants, a thousand years in the future, would go through this torturous device. And then having to write it in this song, this, this psalm that would be sung during various feasts throughout the history of Israel itself. Psalms 22, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, the very cry that Jesus would make from the cross. Referring to Psalms 22. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Uh, we'll be skipping, you know, some of these verses here. But uh, focusing on the 12 verses that describe what Jesus Christ went through on the cross. A thousand years before it happens. Listen to these verses. Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I, I cry in the daytime. When was he crucified? But you do not hear. And in the night season, and I'm not silent, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of man, despised by the people, the jeering crowds, all those who see me ridicule me, who shoot up the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him, let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Those chief priests saying these exact same words, by the way. 
Verse 12, many bulls have surrounded him. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled him, describing the soldiers there at the foot of the cross. Gentiles literally dressed up with the bull horns. The ones standing at the foot of the cross. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. Verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. What happened to every single one of the joints of Jesus Christ as he was dropped into that hole? Being held only by nails, by the way. That jarring of his entire body as it fell into that hole. And then the piercing of his heart through the side. What came out? Blood and water. Right here, a fulfilling of a prophecy. Written by his great, 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 great grandfather a thousand years before it happened, by the way. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Literally, as he was crying those seven things from the cross, saying, Father, forgive them. Dying of thirst, literally. Again, being described in, in perfect detail a thousand years before it happened. Verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Perfect description of what will happen to the Messiah. 500 years before crucifixion was invented, a thousand years before Jesus Christ was crucified on that cross. Do you see the description? I can count all my bones. What was it like to view Jesus Christ on the cross? Just skin and bones. They look and they stare at me. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. By the way, this was the payment for those uh, soldiers that, you know, went about this horrific crucifixion. As part of the, the loot from uh, the people that were being crucified, they, they would, you know, divide uh, the clothes. And you, you remember what G kind of cloth or, or, cloth or clothes Jesus had. It was a, a seamless robe. There was no semen. And so rather than destroying this really good cloth or this really good garment, what did they do instead? They gambled for it at the foot of the cross. Again, predicted by David, his great-great-great-great-grandfather. Verse 22, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you to all the ends of the earth. Shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he rules over the nations who will hear of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The greatest story ever told. Right? 
the story that has been told literally all around the world, translated in, into more languages than any other book in the whole entire world. The privilege of knowing that this story would be told around the world. of What Jesus Christ did for you and for me. And how many times do we take what Jesus Christ did for granted? I know I do, many times. And I hope tonight you saw a new glimpse. I hope tonight you just see a, a little glimpse of what Jesus Christ did for us. I, I hope you reread these chapters. I hope you reread Isaiah 52, 53, and Psalms 22. And, and I hope even though it's not Easter that you would realize what Jesus Christ went through for you and for me. Why? To redeem you. To redeem you. So that you could have a relationship with him. And the privilege that every single time that we come in and we worship the Lord, we get to worship the Lamb of God who still bears those same wounds. So that we could have fellowship with God and be in heaven with him forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen, right? Dear Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for reminding us tonight Hopefully, hopefully in a maybe even a, a new way, maybe even a, a, a deeper way, maybe even a, a, a way that we've never heard before from the Old Testament. Not, not so much from the New Testament, from, but the descriptions from the Old Testament and how graphic, how literally, uh, you know, disgusting they were. In such graphical detail, every single one of them having to be fulfilled in uh, the New Testament, or else uh, the sacrifice was null and void if even one of these prophecies wasn't fulfilled. And yet to know that every single one was fulfilled in you, to know that you did it for me, that you did it for these my friends, that you did it for us, so that we could have a relationship with you. Not when we were good, but when we were bad. When we were in that jeering crowd. When, when we were uh, enemies of you. When we were rebellious. When we were um, far away from you. You reached out to us. So that we could have a way back to you. And so Lord, tonight when we ourselves find our, uh, our, ourselves in a, a similar situation. Maybe with a a person that we know that has um, rebelled or maybe even hurt us or maybe even mocked us or maybe said something bad about us, that we too would just maybe get a glimpse of what you did for us so that we could do it for another person so that we can show your grace, your love, your mercy to one other person. And show them what you did for them. And then bring them to the cross. The privilege of being your hands and feet. Your, your pierced hands and feet in this world. That we would be your servants as we've been learning about on Sundays. That, that we would be your doulos. That we would be your bond servants. That we would be those in this world that would show the love of Jesus Christ to those around us. Wake us up. Awake, awake, remind us, revive us, 
and help us to be you in this dying world. Help us to be little Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.